Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Hey, well, welcome, Believer's Church. Good to be here with you guys on this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, my name is Graham, and I'm just happy to be bringing the Word of God to you today. Uh, we're in our very last message called, Is It Okay To? How many of you have enjoyed this series just a little bit? Honestly, I had to catch up because it's gone the last couple of weekends. So I checked out the BC app, found out that I could have a tattoo for the first time. So I'm scheduled next week to get Lori tattooed on my chest, my arm, and my back. <laughs> now, I've loved this series. It's been fun because we've looked at a lot of different stuff, and we've looked at how to think through these issues, and it's been a lot of fun. And so today we're looking at, is it okay to gamble? And people gamble on all kinds of stuff. But I heard this story about an Irishman who caught a flight with Einstein way back in the day from England to New York. It was a long flight. They didn't have all the entertainment gadgets they do today. And so Einstein said to this Irishman, he said, you know, this is going to be a long flight. And uh, he said, I just want some entertainment. So he said, how about we have a friendly little wager? I'll ask you a question. If you can't answer it, you give me $50. And you ask me a question. If I can't answer it, you give me 50 And he said, hold on a second. You're Einstein. That's not fair. And he said, you know what? You're right. You're an Irishman, so it's definitely not fair. And so he said, I'll tell you what. I'll give you 500 if I can't answer it. And so he said, okay, that's fine. He went first, and he said to the Irishman, What's the distance between the earth and the moon? And that Irishman is going, oh, shoot. I think I fell asleep during that class right there. I don't remember. He reaches in his pocket, hands him 50 bucks. And then he looks at Einstein and he says, all right, here's yours. What runs up the mountain with three legs and runs down with four? And Einstein sits there and goes through all these formulations in his mind. And he's thinking about all the possibilities. E equals MC squared. He's got that pose on his face and just wondering about it. And finally he stumbled. He just says, you know what? I don't know. And he reaches in and he hands him $500. And that guy's counting. He puts it in his pocket and Einstein just shakes his head. He says, you know what? What does run up the mountain with three legs and down with four? The Irishman reaches in his pocket, pulls out 50 and says, I don't know. <laughs> so the, the moral of that story is never gamble with an Irishman. So we've been looking at things through the Word of God and, and, and principles. We'll talk about that in a second. And, um, you know, for me, I was raised, maybe like many of you, to believe that gambling was a vice. Do I have any amens on that? Any, any vice people out there? I was raised in a denominational church. It's like, hey, that's wrong. That's a sin. Um, and my parents weren't like browbeating us, but they just kind of let us know that, hey, you know, my dad would kind of give us that impression. Like, it's only knuckleheads that gamble. And so I just kind of never gambled. It's never been a part of my life. But uh, I realized that, how many know that we're shaped and influenced by the experiences of our own life, but as well as our parents, their experiences shape us as well. And I found out that just in talking to my dad recently, I was with him last weekend out in California. He's 85 years old. And I said, Dad, so let me ask you this. Why were you against gambling? He said, well, our denomination taught that it was a sin. He said, but I... I have another reason for it. I said, okay, I'd like to hear that. He said, well, you know, you know my story that when I was three years old, my mother, who was in her early 20s, died. And 
my father was in his early 20s. He, it hit him real hard because he had also lost a brother six months previous. So he was going through a lot of grief. I understand that. I'm not being too hard on my grandpa. And uh, he said he couldn't find work in the north of Ireland, so he went across the sea to England. And he found work because World War II was just starting to ramp up. And he found work in a factory making torpedoes. Hopefully he wasn't the guy that tested him and said, no, that was a dud, you know. <laughs> I hope he wasn't that guy. But anyways, he was working seven days a week, making really good pay and a ton of overtime. Translate that to my dad. My dad is left in Ireland. He moves from relative to relative. But the one he loves to stay with the most is his mom's mom, his grandma. I can understand that now. They had a special bond, but she wasn't very wealthy. She was a widow. And she would take in ironing jobs to earn money. And so there were literally weekends where my dad did not get to go out and play, not because he was sick, but my dad couldn't go out and play because his grandmother would have to take his clothes and his shoes and walk over to the pawn shop to get money to eat that weekend. That's sad to think that his father, just a few miles away, would only send money every once in a while to help. And that was never really enough to help. And when I think about why didn't he send money, here's why he didn't send money. Because my grandfather is what we'd call today a compulsive gambler, a problem gambler. He had an addiction, and I, I hate to say this, but his addiction literally took the clothes right off my dad's back. My dad tasted poverty in a way I've never tasted it because of a gambling addiction. And that's crazy. And so for my dad, gambling, you know, when you talk about gambling, it's personal to him. But I also realize that not everybody has had that experience. And some of you have gambled before and it's not been a big deal. And so I really want to just take a look at, well, what does God think about this? What does he have to say about this? And so we're going to look at the scriptures here. And here's the main thought I want to get across on this Memorial Day weekend where we have people that gave the ultimate sacrifice their lives so that we could enjoy what? Everybody say it with me. Freedom. How many of us Americans, we appreciate freedom. It costs a lot. But Jesus Christ also came to bring freedom. He said, whoever the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. So we have freedom that he tells us to hold on to. Now, here's one of the most fundamental aspects of freedom, and it's simply this. It is freedom of choice or the right to choose. But I want to ask you a question this morning. If I'm free and if I have the right to choose, then what should motivate my choice? What is it that motivates that choice? And I want to argue today that as free people in the kingdom of God, that what should motivate our choices are love, love for God and love for others. So the main thought today is simply this freedom filtered through love makes the best choice. Freedom filtered through love makes the best choice. So let's look right at this this morning. Let's get our Bibles open and uh, let's look at the word of God and what it has to say uh, about gambling. All right, you can close them now. Doesn't say anything. In fact, the only time gambling is mentioned is when the soldiers are gambling for Jesus clothes. And at that point, it's only an observation. It doesn't say anything. And what happens when it doesn't say anything? We go with the GYO filter. God equals permission, prohibition, or principle. So it's either a yes or a no, or we're left to think 
in a way that honors Christ. Secondly is the you factor. Even if it's okay to drink alcohol, can you handle drinking alcohol? And then the O factor is others. Will this hurt my witness for Christ? So those are the factors that we're going to look at. So principle number one that we're going to look at pertaining to gambling today simply goes like this. Don't gamble for money in place of working for money. Now, why am I using money? Because how many know it takes money to gamble? So it is a financial issue, is it not? All right. Now, here's what you're going to find out about the Bible and the wisdom of the Bible is the Bible celebrates diligence and hard work, and it does not celebrate laziness. And I would submit to you that if you're gaming for revenue or gaming to get rich, that that's just a form of laziness. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. It says, one day I walked by the field of an old lazy bones and then passed the vineyard of a lout. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know why I love that word. It's not a really good word, but I just like it. Maybe because I never use it. They were overgrown with weeds, thick with thistles, and all the fences broken down. I took a long look and pondered what I saw, and the fields preached me a sermon, and I listened. Now, this guy's either off his rocker or God's talking through something. How many of you ever found out that inanimate objects can speak? Some of you are too young to know what this is, but checkbooks, for those of us that used to use them, how many, how many ever opened up a checkbook and had it preach you a sermon? How about your car? Your filthy, dirty car, right? This is the field. This is that house on the block that everybody's mad about. You know, the one where nobody's touched it in 30 years. And it's run down. And it's all overgrown. And, and it goes on to say, a nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. Older translations say that your poverty will come as an armed bandit like a carjacking. With poverty as your permanent house guest. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, I have all this potential for my owner. There's all this opportunity that's just sitting here in this field. If he'll put a little sweat equity into this field and work it a little bit, I can reward him and give him the desires of his heart and set him up financially. But he is so lazy. He's got the manana, manana, manana attitude, which if you don't speak Spanish, just means tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay. When are you going to do that? Manana. Next month, next week, it never gets done. And at the end of the day, very often the way God chooses to bless us in this life is by what? Giving us opportunities. And so work is considered an opportunity. Thomas Edison said this a long time ago. Opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. So when we're betting on the horses, gambling online, playing the lottery as a means of revenue or to get rich, we're going the wrong way. And so I would just simply say it this way. There's a difference between gaming for recreation and gaming for revenue. Principle number two, don't gamble at the expense of wise money management. Admittedly, I'm not the greatest financial guy in the world, but I can follow basic things. What is wise money management? Well, I believe it starts with the scripture and Proverbs 3, 9 says this. Honor the Lord. Did you know one of the ways we can honor the Lord is with our finances? It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. That means we don't tip him at the end of the month. That means that he comes first. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. So here's a truth out of the scriptures. And it's simply this. If we prioritize God in our finances and our, our resources, God will honor us. And the way that honor looks is you have every need met. And oh, by the way, 
you'll be so blessed that there'll be enough left over for you to give wherever your heart leads you to give. And you might say, hey, I'm not there today. Hey, you know what? I've, I've been in that place. But if you are upside down right now, I promise you, if you take something simple like this and you say, God, I want to do this and I want to honor you, I believe God can turn you right side up. And I'll tell you, we offer something called Financial Peace University. You don't have to know anything. Just get in that class. We can help you. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church hundreds of years ago, said this, and I think it still stands true today. He simply said this, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. How many think that makes a lot of sense? I do. You know, it's just common sense. But as an old friend of mine said, if common sense was so common, everybody would have it. Anyways, that's for free. So I have something called the 10-10-80 plan. And the 10-10-80 plan is real simple, and it just goes like this. 10% of every paycheck goes to your local church. So that's how we honor God. Get this. The second part is 10% goes to you. Guys, get in the habit of this. It is a habit you need to form. It is a habit we need to teach our kids. Get them to, my kids are, I kid you not, my kids are better at this than I am because I taught them. And they listen to my wife because she's really good at it and I'm not. I want to go spend it. I need, I need that other motorcycle. I don't know why, but I need it. I've got to have it. But 10% goes into you and your future. And then live on the other 80%. We know the average American lives on 103% of their income, but live on 80%. And again, God will help you get there if you're not there today. So here's what I'm saying. Why am I bringing this up? If gaming or spending money on your hobby or buying another 20 pairs of shoes and a handbag or whatever it is that you do, whatever jacks up your ability to be a good steward of your finances isn't good. And that includes gambling. All right, let's look at the final thing here. Wisdom and freedom. Romans 14, 13. It says, decide in... Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. So what is Paul appealing to us here as? He's appealing to people who are free. I've got the freedom, by the way, to go to five guys and order whatever burger I want. And I've got the freedom to go grab a beer or a glass of wine and have it with that burger. But if you have a conscience that says that is a sin and that is wrong and I cannot do that. I am a vegan and I don't touch alcohol. Guess what? And you truly believe that as a Christian and I'm in your presence as a pastor. You know what I won't do when I'm with you? When I walk up to the counter, I don't know if they have it at five guys, but I'm going to walk up and say, give me a veggie burger. Why? Because freedom filtered through love makes the best choice. Love for God and love for others. I don't want to do anything that will contribute to causing you to stumble and fall and get tripped up spiritually. Can you, can you get that? We, we want to honor people. We want to put people first. Yeah, I've got the freedom to do that, but I've got the freedom to crack a beer and drink it. But if you just came out of a 30-year addiction to alcohol, I don't want to slide one across to you because you might go on a three-month bender. So yes, I have that freedom, but I want to exercise that freedom to love people and I want to exercise that freedom to serve my God. All right? I love this story. It helps me in so many ways. When I first heard it, it was years ago, but... These German women invited a bunch of American pastor's wives 
over to one of their conferences, and they were so pumped up to have these women of God come and speak the word of God to them until they got off the plane. And when they saw these pastor's wives, they'd all been through what not to wear. They'd all learned how to put on the right amount of jewelry and makeup, and their hair was perfect, and their outfits were impeccable. And when those German women saw that, they were grieved because they considered that to be ungodly. God bless those German women. That night, they cried great tears of sorrow, and those great tears of sorrow fell right into their mugs of beer as they drank that sorrow away. God bless them. Guys, seated in this room are a lot of different consciences, and consciences are something that are developed in us throughout our childhood, throughout our life experiences, and also by the Word of God. So you might have things you can do that I can't, vice versa. But we, we want to always do what? We want to put others first. Isn't that right? We'll put others first. All right, now, here's the thing. Is it okay to gamble? Is it okay to gamble? If you follow the principles of hard work, if you exercise good money management, and if you use wisdom so that no one is hurt by your actions, then the answer is yes. The answer is yes. For that reason, we are now opening up the West Lobby. Joe Jr. is taking bets on the Cavs over the Warriors. The odds are great right now. Vegas says so. No. Now, <laughs> yeah, you can use it, you know, just no different than eating out. But now I know right there when I said that, I got some people like probably I'm thinking even like my dad, you know, kind of get hung up on that statement. Let, let me hit you up here for a second and make you think with me. Anybody ever been in the workplace and had a, a really nice person walk by and say, hey, Graham. I work for this adopt-a-center place where they adopt out animals. And we're having a raffle. And would you like to buy some tickets? We're giving away a free night away to here and this, that, or the other. Or, hey, my son's school, they're trying to buy playground equipment. Or uh, the city I grew up in, one of the churches in that area, uh, they would... They would raise a good part of their budget every year through a big carnival they did, and a local dealership would give a car to that, just give them a car, and they would raffle it off, and they raised thousands of dollars. And can I ask you a question? How many of you in here, and, and by the way, this is church, so you can't lie. How many here would admit to having at least bought at least one raffle ticket in your life? Could you, could you put your hands up? Make me feel encouraged. All right, put your hands down. For the rest of you, no. Guys, can I just ask you a question? What's the difference between a raffle ticket and a lottery ticket? Nada. I've been in California, so the Spanish is coming out of me. Nada. Nothing. Nothing. But I will admit, buying a raffle ticket sounds so much more Jesus-y. Doesn't it? It's like, it's got that Christian feel to it. It just feels good. It feels warm. I'm, I feel warm. I feel Jesus when I buy a raffle ticket. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. Why are so many Christians, and I've heard ministers get up and literally rail on the sin of gambling? I mean, they got no scripture to back it up, but they railed on it. Why are they so against it sometimes? Same reason that people are against alcohol. Because they've, they've had people like my grandpa in their lives. 
They've had people whose lives have been destroyed because of those things. Um, it has nothing to do with intelligence. The ex-mayor of San Diego, who was worth between 40 and $50 million, she'd married the founder of Jack in the Box, a fast food chain. Uh, in 2015, she went broke. She gambled her fortune away. Nothing to do with being intelligent, because if you can run a major city in the United States, you're probably a pretty intelligent woman, wouldn't you agree? Why are people against it? Because they've seen it hurt somebody. And I, and I get that. I get that. But... I want to just make you think with me here for a second. I'm going to read something to you. It just simply says this. The idea of legalism is that in order to protect the principles, to protect the bad from happening, you have to take away the freedom, which then reduces spirituality to a list of do's and don'ts. Let me ask you a question. You ever been part of a school organization, church organization, baseball team, football team, uh, company, anything where you went to do something one day and as you're about to do something, somebody stopped you and said, don't do that. And you're like, why? And they said, well, a long time ago, somebody did this and now no one can do it anymore. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. What do we do? We said, well, one person messed up with alcohol. So let's just take away the right for anybody to drink a glass of wine. Let's just do that because it's safer, you know? No, no, it's not. Because what's going to happen is you're going to become legalistic in your approach to life and to this thing called loving God. And that becomes dangerous. And how do I know it's dangerous? Because Jesus clashed with a lot of people who were, quote unquote, very holy in their day. People that were the theologians of their day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers, the professors of the law. They were angry and mad at him for what he was doing. They were upset with him. I'm thinking, why? Why are you upset with the Son of God? I mean, he is God in the flesh. Like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, Jesus is perfect theology. Job is not perfect theology. Abraham's not perfect theology. Daniel's not perfect theology. I can learn from all of them, but if I really want to know who God is and what he thinks like and acts like and how he relates to people, all I've got to do is look at Jesus because Jesus said, I am. And it's somehow funny that these people who had given their lives to God were so mad at Jesus for breaking the rules, they wanted to kill God in the name of God. Guys, that's legalism on steroids. Now, how did they get there? They took a little journey. And why am I sharing this with you? Because Jesus told, this is, told us as his church, this is something we have to guard against, legalism. So let me show you the progression, how they got there real quickly here. They took the Old Testament. And when they looked at the Old Testament, they found that there were 248 commandments in the Old Testament. They also saw that there were 365 prohibitions. And so they set them out. And they vowed to keep all 613 of those prohibitions and commandments. Now, to me, that sounds noble. I want to be a doer of God's word. Sounds very noble. Here's the problem. Here's where it started. In order to do that, through oral tradition, they came up with something which was later recorded called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah added another 1,500 rules about how to not break the 365 and 248. Are you with me? Now we're up to a couple thousand things we got to watch over. Hold on, that's not enough. 
We're going to add to that the Gemara, which is rules about the rules about the rules you made, and then the laws about the laws about the rules you made. And now we're into the thousands, multiple thousands, and that came became known as what you and I know as the Talmud today. The Talmud was in existence when Jesus was around. And so we find Jesus going to heal somebody who's been bent over and crippled like this and can't. You ever see that little old lady in the supermarket that's been walking around like that? Can't even. This lady's been that way for 18 years. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus goes to heal her and they're ready to kill him over it. You're breaking the rules. What rules? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Where does it say I can't heal on the Sabbath? Well, we have rules on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you could bandage someone's wound, but you can't give them medicine. And on the Sabbath, you can only take 50 steps. If you get to 50 and you're not at your destination, you're stuck until sundown. I remember the mannequin challenge in Jerusalem. It looked like the mannequin challenge. Like, what happened to you? I got stuck here, man. I can't go any further. They had all kinds of rules. Pastor Joe taught us about the bleeding Pharisees. These guys who were so afraid to commit adultery that when they saw a woman in the vicinity, they'd close their eyes and they'd walk into stuff and bleed. They called them the bleeding Pharisees. Listen, you can't make this stuff up. They did this stuff. And and here's the thing about it. It's it's crazy, but what happens is, is that none of these things gave them a relationship with God whom they claim to love and serve. And Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. I'm glad he used something that we can all relate to. How many of you out there still are using yeast? I've got a couple of sons that can cook, and my wife is a brilliant cook. But i got to tell you, I'm going to tell on my wife today. When she was 19 and we first met, I'm sorry, I didn't check with her first, but I'm already out there now. I can't pull it back. <laughs> I'm already in, you know, so I'll pay for this later. Anyways, so... <laughs> She made me a pizza when she was 19, and it had no yeast in it. You ever eat a pizza without yeast? You should be so lucky. Yeah, it's like matzah pizza. You know, it's like I took a bite of that, and I'm going to tell you, hit the spot, literally, like, dropped like a piece of lead. You know, bam, you know, it's like it's there. Now, that's the only time she ever did that. But I've watched over the years use yeast effectively, and it works through that whole deal. I mean, we have the—I'd rather have homemade pizza from Lori than anywhere, you know. But— it's amazing, but yeast is just a little component, right? You put a little bit in, and what? It spreads through everything. What did Jesus say? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Why? Why do we have to beware of legalism? Because if you're not careful, it can work its way through your whole life. It can work its way into your relationship with God. And legalism is a spiritual killer. It's proven. What is the yeast of the Pharisees? The yeast of the Pharisees was two things. Jesus said there's two things. I'm going to give you the first one that he called yeast. In Matthew 15, 9, he said, it is useless for you to worship me when you teach rules made up by humans. Why did they want to stone Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath? Because they made a rule that said that was wrong. God never said that. They added to the word of God and they taught their their man-made rules as the doctrine of God. And they dare not break it. The second thing that Jesus called yeast was simply this. Hypocrisy. Matthew 23, 28 says, people look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. You're hypocrites is the word that's used there. Hypocrite just means a play actor. Hey, listen, um, you know, at the ripe old age of 39, I've lived long enough to know, and I did just lie in the house of God. <laughs> I've lived long enough to know that some people are frauds. How many of you have ever just come across a couple and they just like, they're so lovey-dovey. They have like excessive PD. They're petting each other. Oh, you're beautiful. You know, it's like, 
like, uh, give me a break. Like, this is, you know, sick here. Give me a break, okay? And their kids are perfect, and their car's perfect, and their house is perfect. And you're like, I want to be them when I grow up someday. It's like, you know, like you really, and all of a sudden one day it's like, oh, they're divorced. What happened? And you start hearing all the stories. You're like, oh, you mean everything we saw was just a fake? Yeah. What is Jesus saying? Hey, Pharisees, get really good at keeping a bunch of rules to look the part. They've learned how to play it. They've learned how to step into a role and act the part. So externally, it all looks good, but on the inside, they're dead. Because the only thing that can give you life is a relationship with the living God, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can give you life. Following rules and procedures doesn't give you life. You can keep all the rules and it doesn't bring you any closer to God. You are not accepted because of what you do or don't listen to. You are not accepted because you you gamble or don't gamble. You are not accepted because you talk the right way or don't talk the right way. Preferably Christianese. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, brother. God is good all the time. Oh, that's right. We don't do that in this church, do we? No. Come on. We could do it today. Let's break the rule. God is good all the time. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. You got your Christianese on today. That's not why we're accepted. I can't be good enough in you. I can't follow enough rules to be good enough. How many would think it would be a strange relationship? I have three sons and and I'm I'm about to be a grandpa in November, man. I'm pretty excited about that. People tell me it's amazing. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting, you know. But how many think it would be weird if when my firstborn son, Stephen, was born, I held him in my arms and I looked at him and I go, Stephen, my whole vision for you, I, I have one, one thing. If there's only one thing you do, son, the whole vision I have for you is I, I just want you to, I want you to do one thing. I want you to obey all my rules. Like that, that's what I, that's all I care about, man. Just, just obey my rules. How many would think I'm kind of like a messed up dad? Wouldn't it be a little bit messed up? Hold on, shouldn't it be like, I, I love you and, and I'll take a bullet for you and I'll, I'll, I will show in practical ways that I'm going to lay down my life for you your whole life? Like, there's nothing I won't do for you because I love you. And yes, I'm going to have rules, Stephen, like look both ways before you cross the street because I don't want you to get hurt. And yes, I'm going to tell you not to stick that fork in the socket because bad dad didn't put the plastic, you know, stopper in there or whatever. Yeah, there's going to be some things I'm going to ask you to do. But I'm always going to do it out of a motivation of my great love for you. Never to hurt you. And by the time we got to Jesus, Jesus found a group of people, you know, who had written themselves off, who had said, I can never be as holy as those Pharisees. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are loaded down with burdens. What are the burdens that they were loaded down with? In other words... All these rules and regulations had made following God this load that was so heavy. They were shaking and quaking under that load. They couldn't keep up with it. Listen, here's where we get into trouble, guys, is have you ever said to yourself, I have. I've done this many times. I've got to read my Bible. Hmm. Feels like work today. I got I got to pray. Oh, I got to pray because, you know, I should be praying at least you know, I'm a pastor. I have a certain amount of time. I should be praying, but you don't have to. I should be praying this. And, I, and, and oh, I should. Is it possible that maybe some of the 
procedures and lists and rules that I made up for myself God never put on me? Is it possible that trying to follow them causes a lot of people to maybe not want to do church anymore because it's too hard? Too hard. Here's where I want to close it today. If you've ever felt like this, and I have, I put a lot more rules on myself over the years than God ever did and tried my hardest to live up to them and fell into a cycle of guilt because I could never be good enough. That's why I need a Savior. That's why I need grace. And, and listen, keeping rules doesn't change your life. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't transform you. There's only one person who can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. We sing a song called Amazing Grace because His grace is so amazing. His love is so amazing. And if you ever encounter this Jesus that I'm talking about, He is going to radically change your life in a really great way. It doesn't mean you'll be problem-free. You won't be problem-free. You'll have your problems. But He'll be right there in the middle of every one of them with you, giving you all the grace you need to get it done. And this week as I was preparing, I, I actually added this scripture just before the sermon yesterday because I really felt in my heart just in praying for you guys that there's some people that rolled into this Memorial Day weekend. And by the way, you still got another day left in this weekend. Some of you rolled in here and you're just tired. You're just tired. And, and, and you're trying to do this God thing, but it's wearing you out. Hey, I got a word just for you today. I want to read it to you. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. You'll be refreshed. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Come unto me, Jesus. Not the great rule giver in the sky. Come unto me, Jesus, the living God, and I will refresh you. I'll give you rest. I'll put that spring back in your step. I'll put that passion, that fire back in your heart. I'll reignite that thing that you had a year ago, but you lost, or you had a decade ago, but you lost, and now you've just been going through the motions, and you've been faithful, and God honors your faithfulness, but, but you know, and I know that on the inside of you, you lost somewhere along the road. You lost that joy. You lost that fire. You lost that passion for God. You're here on a great weekend because I believe God wants to restore that. I believe God wants that to just dump some gasoline on that spiritual fire of yours and let it burn bright. And by the way, guys, it's not hard. He said it's easy. My yoke, that's the old school term. My yoke is what? Easy. My burden is what? Light. Anything you've been wearing that's Hard and heavy ain't Jesus. Didn't come from him. Let's pray. Father, so grateful today for um, what you're doing in each one of our lives. Father, believing that you're doing great things in the lives of each and every person here. That you called them from their mother's womb. That you called them to a purpose and a race. And they're running it. Some of them are running it really strong. Some are coasting along and some of them are tired. They can barely walk. But wherever they are today, Father, you're right there with them. And I'm praying 
that they're going to encounter you, that they're going to encounter your amazing love and your amazing grace. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here that just feels like on the inside that they've just been walking around and whatever it was that they had with you, they can't feel that passion where they can't feel that flame burning. I'm praying, Father, today, would you refresh them? Would you help them learn to come apart with you and to be with you all over again and just to enjoy being in your presence? Father, do something amazing in their lives this weekend. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I hear what you're saying, and as I listen to you, I have to say I, I walk into this place, and I'm not really sure if I even could say that I know Jesus or know God. I'm not really sure where I stand. I'd like to think that, yeah, I have my flaws, but I'm basically a good person. Can I just tell you something? Um, God loves you right where you're at. But I'll have to be honest with you. I'm not good enough to be accepted by God and neither are you. You might be a good person in my eyes, but that's not enough. Because every single one of us have made mistakes. We've blown it. Those are called sin. And that's the thing that keeps us apart from God, sin. But the good news is, is that Jesus came. And if you will, all the debt you racked up because of all the mistakes you made, Jesus canceled those debts. Let me tell you how you can take advantage of that debt cancellation. Simply this. Just call on Jesus. Because the Bible gives us a promise and it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to add anything to that. You can't add anything to that. It is that simple. And so in just a second, we're going to pray. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it tells us that the kingdom of God is actually as close as our heart and as near as our mouth. And what does that mean? That when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He rose from the dead, when you believe that in your heart, you're halfway there. The second part is when you simply confess that and say with your mouth, Jesus, I believe you are Lord. Be Lord of my life. The Bible says at that moment, salvation enters into your heart. And salvation doesn't mean that you're going to just live with God forever. You certainly will. But you receive eternal life. And eternal life isn't just for the future. Eternal life is for today. And eternal life impacts my everyday living. And it will affect and impact your everyday living. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? That's me. I really, I'm at a place in my life where I, I know I need to change, and I, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own, and, and I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to make that decision to follow him. Then I want you to do something with me right now. I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to pray with me, and I want you to know that God is listening to this prayer. Church, would you help me pray this? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead, that you're seated by the Father's right hand. Today, I'm calling on you to save me. I'm not trusting in my behavior. I'm not trusting in my good intentions. I'm not trusting in my church attendance. I'm putting all my faith in what you did for me. Receive me now into your family. Receive me into your kingdom. Jesus, I make a decision to follow you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.